0: all right good morning everyone (coughs) excuse my voice i'm still recovering a little bit from a flu but um, i trust it'll hold out and that it won't affect at all the message this morning all right so this morning don't try and make sense of any of that um you're wasting your time so this morning i'd like to speak to you a bit about um marriage parenting a godly home, everything in that in that direction. So I went and read some statistics. So if statistics are not, is not your thing, then I'm sorry, but you need to sit through it in any case. But okay, so as we all are probably familiar with, the world is moving further away from Christianity and biblical principles that Christianity teaches. Um, marriage is no longer respected for the sacred union that it was created for. We see more and more people getting divorced and families broken apart. And so parenting your children has become optional and even accidental, I see in some lives, some parents accidentally parent their children. And so I say parenting your children has become optional. And by that I don't mean having biological offspring. I mean, that's not being a parent, that's being a biological father and mother, parenting has become optional. And I think a lot of the problems we see in society today is because of forsaken marriages, um, Bible-forsaken marriages, and people having fallen away from God's Word. Now, this is a statistic from an American study that was done. It says 40% of children growing up in America today are being raised without their fathers. 40%. About 40% of children who do not live with their biological father have not seen him during the past 12 months. More than half of them have never been in his home. And 26% of those fathers live in a different state than their children. In South Africa, the divorce rate is ever increasing and currently at about 30%. 44% of all divorces occur before the ten year anniversary mark, and these are all ch- parents of small children before the ten year mark forty four percent um, of of, of forty four percent of all divorces occur before the ten year mark and if you think about it thirty percent of marriages end up in divorce i mean that is that is all of the people on that side and half of this that ends up in divorce and of many times young children but this this 44% under the 10 year mark is alarming to me from, for two reasons the one is those are young children left or that grow up in broken homes but the other reason is that means 56% of marriages fail after 10 years and so people who know each other who have supposedly befriended each other and are supposed to be like sure on their foundation those marriages also fail now What effects do these broken homes have on these children? Now, the first thing I want to read to you about is... um, is, I have to state this because we live in a society where people are very easily offended. So, this is studies that have proven this, okay? (laughs) It's not my opinion, please. (laughs) Alright, first thing, homosexuality. The lowest rate... This is a quote. The lowest rate of lesbian behavior, 4%, occurred among women who grew up in intact married families. For those who grew up in unmarried or step-families or divorced single-parent families or always single-parent households, the rates were significantly higher at 6.6%. While it was the highest by far 9.6% amongst those who grew up in households where the girl's mother cohabited with a man who is not her father. So in other words, the more the home gets broken, the higher the rate you find of homosexuality. A different quote from a different study. Homosexuality is a developmental problem that is almost always the result of problems in family relations, particularly between father and son. As a result of failure with father, this includes the absence of a father, The boy does not fully internalize male gender identity and develops homosexuality. This is the most commonly seen clinical model. Another thing, so that's homosexuality, another thing is violent crime. So another quote, over the past 30 years, the rise in violent crime parallels the rise in families abandoned by fathers. A 10% increase in percentage of children living in single parent homes leads to typically a 17% increase in juvenile crime. So 10% increase in broken family, 17% increase in juvenile crime. Now here's some other effects of broken homes, um, the broken homes have on children. Depression and anxiety, and this later can lead to suicidal tendencies among teens. Aggression and bullying, which can later lead to violent crime. Negative association with one of the sexes. That's why sometimes you uh, you see an increase in feminism or these movements where it's so much focused on one sex. You have negative association with religious, um, with the religion of the parents sometimes. So, a lot of times you see children not following the religion of the practi- or the religion their parents practiced because they don't, the, the parents' lives were broken because, or their children associated that religion with a broken family. Um, asthma, shyness, um, low self confidence, and distrust. And you s- I think this plays into the role with distrust in relationships and why so many people also get divorced Um, now as i've read all these things i'm obviously not trying to label anyone who comes from a broken family being in a broken family doesn't mean you have to have this doesn't mean you need to live this way okay and so i'm not trying to say this is you you have to live like this by no means am i saying that you get good kids that come from bad homes and you get bad kids that come from good homes. But because, we, because of that, because we see these statistics, we can't exclude the fact that it's a reality. Exclude the fact that a broken home has an effect on society. And so that is what I want to uh, um, talk about. And as we see in the Bible, in Proverbs 22, verse 6, it speaks about how bringing up a child, training up a child in the way that he should go... And when he is old, he shall not depart from it. And so if you, if you as a parent train up a child in the way that he should go, biblically, showing them the way, being an example for them, then they will not depart from it. Their chances in life of following a good life is much higher if it, they come from a good home. Once again, it doesn't mean you can't have a good child coming from a bad home. But that, I think, is so much more to God's grace. Another thing I want to acknowledge is that some broken homes are broken not because of any fault on one of the parents. And so it's, it's just important to say it still has an effect on the chil, chil, child. But it's, this is not saying if you're, if you're a mother, a single mother or whatever your case is, it doesn't mean you're bad at all. Sometimes these things happen. And, um, and I, I believe God gives grace um, and wisdom to those single parents Um, In these times. Now, in these cases, um, like I said, God will give more grace to that parent. But having said all of this, I'd like us um, to talk about the following topic today, and that is that parental guidance is advised. Now, I don't know if any of you have heard that term. They used to say that in movies. Do they still say that? I don't know. But parental guidance is advised. And um, with that, I just want to pray and ask the Lord to guide us. Lord, thank you that we can come to you this morning. Thank you that you have brought all of us here. And Father, I trust that as you've truly taught me so much in preparation to the sermon, I believe that it will have an impact on many lives here today. And I can ask, Lord, that you would please, please come and do that. Come open our hearts. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Even if some of the things might be countercultural or whatever we may Have been, uh, have grown up with, Lord. Help us to be more concerned about Your Word and what Your Word says about matters. And Lord, I ask that You would please come help me, Lord. Um, I want to say what You want me to say, and I want to be vessel and to honor, Lord. And ask that You would please come bless the service. Please come teach us something. Come increase our faith and help us to be better. Parents, people, men, women, um, in our everyday lives, and glorify you in so doing. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Good. All right. So you can open to Ephesians chapter five. We'll be getting most of our our points there. Now, I don't believe anything that I'm going to be saying today is going to be um, revolutionary in terms of. Its content. Um, I think most of you will have heard this information rep- uh, presented in some way or another. But I hope that these truths grip your heart for the for the value that they have in in the in our lives. Um, but before we before we get into this, I don't want to exclude anyone from the sermon. Now, the sermon is, per definition, aimed more at Married people and parents, but it doesn't exclude those of you who are unmarried. I left my koki. Yeah. Alright. Otherwise, this is going to stay a mystery. Alright. So, if you're not married, okay, so I didn't intend it like this, but this is the marriage line, okay? This side is unmarried, that side is married. Okay, so if you're unmarried, I want to just say a few things quickly. And that is that you have a responsibility being unmarried to prepare for your children and to prepare for your marriage one day. And so the first point that I want to say to unmarried people is preparation. Okay, preparation. Second thing is prayer. Second thing is your um, pursuit. And the final thing is your purity. With those four Ps, all right, with those four Ps, you, ha- you are setting yourself and you are setting your marriage and all of that up to start at the right place. Okay? You have time now to prepare yourself for your future, for your future marriage, for being a dad, being a mom, you have time now to prepare. Unlike you have one day when you are there. Also, you you can pray for your spouse. You can pray that the Lord will prepare you to be the right man in that or woman. I'm saying man, but right man or woman, and the same for your spouse. Okay, you can start praying for that. The other thing is, what are you currently pursuing as a single person? You need to ask yourself, what is, what, is, what is driving me? When I meet this person, what are they going to see me pursuing? And if this person is someone who is pursuing godliness, and I'm pursuing something different, then our roads are not going to line up. And then also purity. And um, purity is, is, it speaks to, speaks to sin and well, sinlessness, but it, it speaks more to, what, what, are you, what are you heading after? What are you following? What are you leaving behind? Okay, And so if you're unmarried, focus on these things. See this, for example, this sermon today is part of your preparation. And so learn from it. I, I don't know, I may, maybe I'm weird or something, but I love learning about parenting <laughs> when I was a teenager. I thought I would tell people how they should parent their children and then... <laughs> And then um, I realized it's actually not that simple. And um, but, but you can have good biblical ideas or good biblical convictions about these. And um, my parents always told me that you should know what you're going to do in a situation before you get into that situation. And so when someone, if, if for example, if someone's going to um, present you with alcohol or drugs or whatever temptation they may bring to you, you should have... A planned idea at least of, you know what, this is how I'm going to try and handle it. Because that's better than coming there and then trying to figure out what you should do. Like, you should have a preconceived idea of how you're going to handle these situations. And so, at least prepare and have an idea of what a godly marriage is and what um, good parenting should be. And that you can get from the Bible. So, as I said, although this is parental guidance is advice, this message is actually going to focus more on marriage. Because if the relationship between the parents aren't right, then the relationship towards the children is also going to fall short. Now, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. We're starting nice, nice, nice in a controversial spot. Okay, So, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ, Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. So, the first thing I want to speak of is the foundation of the marriage. So what we, what we just read is actually the role of the husband and the role of the wife. But before we get to the role of the husband and the role of the wife, there needs to be a foundation. And the foundation I called here is S cubed, okay? Three S's. So it's salvation, sanctification and service. Now we read here in verse from verse twenty two down we read about the role of the wife and the role of the husband. But turn back to the beginning of the chapter, chapter five, Ephesians five. Let's read verse one to three. It says Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself. For us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as becometh saints. So that that as becometh saints means as is proper amongst saints, okay? So this is not written to a husband or a wife. It's written to a Christian. It says followers of God, okay? Dear children. Then it says walk in love. Look at the sacrifice of Christ that was given, given for us. And then it says, But fornication and and co- um, um, covetousness let not be once named among you. So you can see there's, there's salvation. You can see there's a sanctified life. It's someone who's trying to live purely. Someone who is being cleaned by the word. And then you also see that there's service. You see him walking or not following this, this, this way of the world. Look at um, verse 8. It says, "For you were sometimes in darkness, but now are ye the light of the world, uh, now the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. There's your walking, there's service." It says, "For the fruit of the spirit is in all godliness, in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works um, of darkness, but rather reprove them." So once again, there you see sanctification. For this is a shame, even to speak of those things which are done. In secret. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, um, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding of what the will of the Lord is. Now you, you're understanding where this is coming from, right? This is all in preparation to what Paul's going to speak about now in terms of the roles in marriage. This is all the foundation. This is all leading up to what he's going to say. And he's saying this is general Christian conduct. You need to be sanctified. You need to live a holy life. You need to strive after these things. You need to be in service of God. Okay, so verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, if this is your foundation, okay, if your foundation is this where you you are submitting yourselves one to another, you are you are humble, you are singing praises to God together, you are serving God, you are striving to, to follow after God, you're, you're preparing your, your pursuit and your purity, all of that, if, if that is the foundation of your marriage, then you can, Then we can start looking at the roles of the men and the women because the foundation is there. And so when I'm... This is a foundation, if we do not know, okay. And that... I can't remember what it's called in English. Nas <laughs> arsering. It means, what's it good? Shade, that's shading. Okay. Shading for the foundation. So there's our foundation. We're going to be building upon that. Okay, so your foundation is salvation, sanctification, and service. You'll be familiar with these verses, but 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. If you are in a relationship whether it's now to marry that person or just a general relationship those if those those relationships are not godly relationships it's going to corrupt your good manners and so there's the prerequisite for marriage is marrying a godly person if obviously if you you're saved yourself and now second corinthians 6:14 it says be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness so righteousness being saved unrighteousness not being saved what communion hath light with darkness what concord hath christ with belial or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel an infidel is an unbeliever so you can't work at this you can't be equally yoked with someone you can't for those of you who don't know a yoke is that thing that goes over an ox those two oxen and they pull together they plow together so this is they're going into this thing and they're going to work together at this marriage you can't be unequally yoked. You can't have a donkey and an ox. You can't, you can't have that set up. It's not going to work. So when it comes down to marriage, the foundation is both people loving, serving Christ, living sanctified lives, and wanting to serve Christ in that way. And that is the, the foundation. Now. Having spoken to a few people, I realized, and me my, myself, I found myself in that situation before I was married, and that you kind of treat your future spouse as um, someone who has to adhere to a certain list of desires. Noble as it is, right? Like you should have some degree of, you know, these are the things I want, you know, my spouse to to be, and so on. And and that's that's nothing wrong with it. Um, but there's there 's more to it than than just that, so it's not a, it's not a it 's not a checklist if I could put it like that of does this person complete me um, does the <laughs> i 'm trying i 'm trying to think of more cliched statements um, but you know it's not it 's not that thing of does this person complete me and um do we have the same hobbies and stuff like that it's it 's more like what this is is where the, the crux of it is is that person saved is not an item on the checklist. that is your ticket to the checklist you 're not allowed to set up a checklist for a person until that has been established, okay Because the problem is what happens and it happens too often is that people go into a relationship, they like each other, they fall in love, then now, now they 're in love, and then like, "I wonder if I should marry this person," and then they go to the checklist. And then like, oh, shit, sure, this person's not really serving Christ. They're not living a sanctified life. They're not saved. And so, but they're ticking all the day. We've got the same hobbies. I feel completed by this person, X, Y, Z. And so you're, you're ticking away here, yeah, but actually there's a problem. And so you find yourself here. Now you're like, do I marry this person? But the, the key aspect of marriage, God created marriage, is not being met. And so it makes it incredibly difficult. And so that's why I'm saying the first thing, your foundation, your, if you want to get that checklist, first establish whether that person is sanctified and serving Christ before you start ticking away at the checklist because you're setting yourself up potentially for a lot of, a lot of hurt. Now, also just the last thing I want to re- remind you about on this foundation is that marriage between a husband and wife is supposed to be a picture of Christ and his church. Okay? It's supposed to be a picture of Christ in his church. That's exactly what Paul is doing here in Ephesians 5. Now, if the one person or if someone is not saved, they're not part of the body of Christ, they're not part of the church. So Christ's example and Christ's love towards the church can't, be, can't work because that person's not in the body. In the same way with us, if this person we want to consider for marriage or whatever, if that person is not in the body of Christ, that your relationship towards that person can't work the same way as Christ towards the church doesn't exist if that person is not saved. And so remember that uh, your your role or your desire should be to live out this image that God created of Christ and his church. Now, the second thing we're going to be looking at is the role of the husband. And um, as I drew this, I realized This looks more like the woman's woman's bullet point or something with a little heart and, you know, heart cubed. So the heart cubed obviously means love cubed, okay? So we're going to look at three aspects of love. I just want to read you something quickly, another statistic. Um, A survey in the USA found fathers to be highly influential in church attendance. It found that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian there is a 3% probability everyone else in the house will follow so mother and father not saved son or daughter gets saved 3.5% chance that the whole family will become christian okay then it goes on to say if the mother is the first to become a christian there is a 17% probability everyone else in the house will follow so it's a lot the mother has a larger influence than obviously the child has to the to the parents and then However, if the father is first, there is a 93% probability everyone else in the house will follow. Once again, this is what studies have found. And it's, it's, when I see statistics like these, and I know what the Bible has said, it's, it's, it's a wonderful union to see how God created the husband as the head of the house and how he is supposed to lead his family in that matter. It doesn't mean the mother can't, okay, And it doesn't mean the mother is not able to. In fact, she should do that. She should teach her children. But when the father is taking that lead, it has a massive influence on the rest of that house. So the husband's role. First, verse 25 of Ephesians 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So the first thing there, the first heart is... A sacrificial love, okay? Sacrificial love. We see here in verse twenty-five how Christ loved the church so much he gave himself for her. So, and notice you see Christ loving the church, and then you see Christ giving himself. Love is a verb. Love is doing something. Hold your place. You look at First Corinthians thirteen quickly. First Corinthians thirteen. Okay, and we'll read from verse four, First Corinthians thirteen, verse four. It says Charity suffereth long. Charity is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Now, if you read this, right, and you have an idea of what Hollywood says love is, and then you read this and you're like, are, are we talking about the same thing? Because what's kind of promoted is this fluffy feeling that overtakes you and you it's just, I don't know, fireworks and <laughs> stuff going on. Here. But this, it's suffering long. It's kind. It envies not. It vaunts not itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not our own. It's not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. This is all actions. This is all counter- fleshly actions this is giving off yourself this is saying i need to humble myself i says i need to be kind i need to not envy i need to not be puffed up it's a, it's it's sacrificial on on the side of the person acting out this love okay and so that's the type of love that a husband should have towards his wife this is the love that jesus came to show us he washed his disciples feet he didn't have a place to stay he, although he's God. As Franchot preached last week about how in Philippians 2, the wonderful picture of how Christ, who is God, humbled himself and became a servant. Like that picture of sacrifice is the sacrificial love a husband should have towards his wife. And we need to follow this example of Christ. So we need to sacrifice our pride, our culture, culture being the man is, you know, man and um, we should we should we should put our women in our in their place you know that type of thing put away your pride put away culture put away all these things and have that mind that Philippians 2 mind of being in the like how Jesus was in the form of God he he thought it not robbery to be equal to God and how he humbled himself he became a servant and he humbled himself to the point of the death of the cross and there's a complete sacrifice there was no pride involved in that and so I thought to myself as I was going through this, myself, okay, now the Bible says this is what must happen, right? But why? Like, why must this happen? And what kept Jesus on the cross? What kept Jesus? Give, he's that, that's the point of sacrifice, right? What kept him there? In Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says it was for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. And so you sacrifice yourself for your wife as the husband for the joy that is set before you of presenting this wife blameless, holy, as we will see in verse 26 and 27 now. That is what keeps you doing that. So not just the command, but also the joy that is set before you. And so my question to all of us men is, what or when was the last time that you willingly sacrifice something for your wife. Sacrifice something that was very important to her and, or very important to yourself for her. Now the second heart is a sanctifying love. Look at verse 26, Ephesians 5 verse 26, sorry. It says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, speaking about Jesus towards his church, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that it should be holy and without blemish. So here we see the husband's role as Christ's role in the church, in how he leads us and how we we are conformed to the image of Christ and through his word we become more and more like Christ. He wants his church to follow in the example that he said. In the same way, we as husbands, we have a responsibility in the sanctification of our wives as Christ has towards the church. In John 17, verse 17, when Jesus prayed for the church, he said, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the word of God is the truth that sanctifies. And so that is exactly what we as husbands, we have a responsibility to teach our wives and when I say teach your wife, it doesn't mean you sit her down and you are going to give her a lesson. No, sometimes, okay? Don't get too excited, but sometimes you need to sit your wife down. No, I'm joking, okay. But you need to sometimes just, there is times where this going to be a bit more formal and there's going to be a lesson we you're going to study something together or whatever the case is. That does happen. But it's through, as Christ set an example for us, Okay. Everything that yes, he did sit down and teach his disciples. Definitely. He did do that. But his life was an example. When the disciples were preaching, we see in Acts and in, in Antioch in, in Acts eleven, it says that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They were called Christians. Why were they called Christians? Because when people looked at their lives, it imitated Christ's. And so as we as husbands, we need our lives need to imitate that of Christ's, in that so that when our wives look, they see what example there is to follow. And yes, there will be cases where, like I say, it will be teaching, where we'll be washing of the word as it's spoken of you. but it's also through your example. And remember, you as a husband, you have a head, which is Christ. Okay, your head is Christ. And so when you are the head of the wife, think of that relationship between you and Christ and don't force anything else between your headship over your wife. Christ is not there slamming you or, or whatever, treating you illly because of your sin or something like that. There's always... Uh, the, yes, there's chastisement, but there's always love. There's always help. There's always a desire to see this person grow into more of the image of Christ. And that's exactly what Christ has towards his church. And so the sanctification is in the same way towards um, a husband, towards his wife. Now, um, some men don't do this, I think, because having a godly wife is very intimidating. And um, if you have someone who is constantly... N- knows what is wrong with what you're doing or expects a certain standard of living from you that is a very good thing to have as a husband that's actually a blessing but it's intimidating at the same time because your standard constantly needs to be that one up if i could put it like that and so it's 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 actually a beautiful thing how this how it works how god put it together and how the one actually just lifts the other one up and you grow together um towards christ but don't, don't, out of fear of your God becoming, a, I don't want to say a know-it-all, but of your wife becoming knowledgeable in the word of God. Don't, for fear of that, um, put that aside. And then lastly, the third love is a nourishing love. Let's read v- um, verse 28. It says, For so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord, the church. So we see a nourishing love. We see, now what does it mean for a husband? When I read this, I, I used to get like, what does this mean to love myself? And, you know, loving yourself, and that means you love your wife. Like, but essentially what that means, this, this nourishing aspect of it, it means to, if you will feed yourself, if you will take care of your needs, then take care of your wife's needs. It's it's nourishing, and this word "cherish" here actually means, and it's weird, but it it means to warm with body heat, and it to cherish them. It's like a, a bird sitting, you know, on her eggs in the nest. You know, it's it's warming. It's 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 covering. It's it's protecting. It's just loving on that person. And so this, this nourishing love, it means you need to, you need to provide for your wife. It, as you provide for yourself, your needs, your desires to do things, to go places, to have experiences, to eat, to... Like, in that way, provide. She has needs, emotional, spiritual, physical. And you need to provide in that same way for her. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, it says that... Um, did I not write it down here? Oh, no, I did. But if any... Provide not his, for his own, and especially for those of his own house. He hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Now, it is expected of you to provide. As a husband, you need to provide. Provide that safety. Provide that shelter. Provide that warmth. Provide that, um, that, that leadership that she needs. Now, I'm playing connect the dots. This is, this is a house. It is not a home yet. Because there is no mom. <laughs> but that is what the man provides, okay? This is, this is shelter. This is warmth. This is safety. This is everything that the man should provide for his wife. And a place in which sanctification can happen. And so that is the sacrificial, sanctifying and nourishing love of a husband. A man, Theodore Hesburgh, I don't know if you know that name, but he said, the most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. The most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. And I think that is a beautiful statement and very true statement. Now, the wife's role. So point number three. Now, the reason I don't have something cubed, you know, I really try to get something cubed in here. I don't know, I didn't, but the only thing, but that's not even going to work. But the reason there isn't something cubed, because a woman is not that simple, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you, you, there, you, there's, not, there's no formula, there's nothing I can put there. So there's, the, there's just the role of the wife, okay? Now, I know this is a, some of the things, this is a sensitive issue in today's culture, um, and I am by no means trying to, to play down or what you know make make light of it, um, but I do feel that primarily um, what we are concerned about is not being necessarily culturally correct, but being publicly um, correct, um, and that is what the church is called to. So, but also at the same point when we we're going to be looking at the word submission and um, um, and that, but. If, we, if we're truly honest with ourselves, what was just said about a husband is also slightly countercultural. Men don't live this way. Men don't treat their wives this way. So it's also an admonition to men as much as it is to women. So, now, here is my best attempt to give you the biblical view of men and women. Men and women are created e- of equal value or of equal value to God. Their roles, however, are different. That is, I think, as true as you can get. Men and women are of equal value to God. However, their roles are different. Now, think of, think of a toaster and a kettle. Um, I went and checked. You can get a toaster and a kettle for the same price, so they're of equal value. <laughs> and um, so they're of equal value, but they have different roles. To make a good breakfast, you need a good cup of coffee, if you're saved and tea if you're less saved. (laughs) So you need a good cup of coffee and you need some toast, you know, with eggs and all of that, all right? So equal value. Both have an important role in that good breakfast, but different. You can try and make toast in the kettle. I guess just empty the kettle. (laughs) And you can try, I guess, and make... No, don't do that. You'll burn something down. But the point is, you see, you'll burn something down, you'll break something. Don't break what God has set in place. Equal value, different roles. Now, it's an honor to know that God has a specific purpose for your creation. It's not something to to frown upon. It's not something to, you know, oppose. It's something... That you should say, wow, God created me as man, me as wife, for a certain purpose. And I can search that, and I can find that, and I can do that, and please God in doing so. So the first thing, Ephesians um, 5, verse 22. It says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be be to their own husbands in everything. Now, when I read here submission, I think submission, first of all, what must be understood here, is that these verses are not written to the husband. It says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. I think uh, uh, the reason there's such a negative connotation to this word is because men read that and so they think it's written to me, I need to enforce that on my wife. Um, And that is not what's being done here, all right? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And so, husband, think of yourself under the headship of Christ. How much of your submission is forced, is not willing. I mean, there isn't that. There isn't that hammering of Christ and you know, beating you into subjection. There is none of that. And so the same relationship Christ has towards the man, the woman, and um, the man is supposed to have over the wife. So you as the husband, as we spoke about that love now, you are the head. You are supposed to rule, all right? And you, but you're supposed to create that shelter, that warmth. Create that, um, that. You're supposed to be sacrificial in your love and sanctifying in your love. That is what you're supposed to do. If you're doing that, that's what the woman is supposed to submit to. Is you providing that? You doing that? If you're not, if you're not providing that, it's a lot more difficult for a woman to submit to that. Okay. And so. A, a massive responsibility lies with a man in how he loves his wife when it comes to submission. Um, so men, a lot of the onus is on, is on us, but it doesn't excuse a wife from not submitting to a husband who is not the perfect husband as such. There is still wives submit to your husbands. And there's a, there's, there's, there's a very important reason for that the reason a wife is supposed to submit is because it shows once again that picture of Christ and His Church. If you're going to win over your husband, now I hope that a husband who treats his wife pure, um, poorly is not saved. Okay, and so the way you work on your on that man's heart is by your, I must to say unconditional love towards that person, um, that submissive nature, and. Now, there are cases where it's not that easy, it's not that plain, clear cut, but in general terms, in a Christian society, wives are to submit themselves to their husbands, but husbands, you are supposed to provide that structure in which a wife can submit herself to. Then, I want to read you a quote from a woman, because I thought it would be inappropriate if I read you a quote from a man because then it's like the man is, you know, this authoritarian and he's talking down to the wife. So this is a quote from a woman. She said, I'd rather, her name is Candice Cameron Bure. I'd rather be viewed as weak to the world because I'm submissive to my husband than weak in the Lord because I submit myself to the views of the world. Because essentially you're submitting yourself to one or the other, right? You're either going to submit yourself to what the world is saying must be, or you're going to submit yourself to what God is saying must be. So, that's, that's, I think, it's a, this quote speaks a lot to the the current situation we have in the society. So the first thing for a wife, I can't say the three things. So the first thing is submission. Second thing is be your husband's enabler, enabler. That is play on the word helpmeet. Okay. So in um, in Genesis. 2 in verse 18, I'm sure you've heard this verse before, it says, and the Lord said it is not good that the man should be alone, I will make him a helpmeet, make him a helpmeet for him, okay so God looked at the man and he realized that um, this guy needs some help, he's not going to make it on his own he'll accomplish a lot more if he has a wife, he'll accomplish a lot more if he has someone enabling him Supporting him, strengthening him, be there for him. And by no means is this a a less important role. It is absolutely fundamental and critical to someone who, a man who's going to effectively be in this world. In whatever ministry or whatever situation you find yourself, if it's just work or whatever it is, he needs a wife there to support him, to help him. So, how do you help Have a look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. So, be your husband's enabler. Now, the first thing is, how do you help? Titus chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, The aged woman, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keep us at home, good and obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So one way in which you can help your husband is by loving him. We see that there in verse 4 to love their husbands and another way in which you can do help your husband is by bringing up godly children it says there to love their children and then it says to be keepers at home and in other words to to nurture for that man's children as well as yours like there's a, a, a fundamental role a woman plays in the upbringing of a child in the support of that husband so that love and that teaching um role that a woman has and then of course this is a house so you need to make this i'm not going to write it i was going to write your house home but that's too much to write you need to make this house a home and so you need to it needs to look a bit more sorry the last time i drew a home was in kindergarten those are windows that's a door and so you make the building right home you make the shelter the walls the the emptiness you make that structure that's been provided by the husband you make it loving you make it a place in which children can grow that is how that is one way in which while the man is to a large extent providing you as the you as man is providing you as the woman are taking care of so many important things at home so that's the one way in which you can help your husband the other thing is you can look at proverbs thirty one the other way in which a woman can help her husband because proverbs thirty one is such an amazing chapter written specifically to to a um, woman i didn 't i couldn 't put a point to it, but I would say you need to have a goal one way in which you can help your husband is by having a goal, and I want to say. I don't know, I guess I can't make this statement, but if I were a woman, this would be very, very important to me and to say, where, where can I improve? What are things that I can do to become this, <laughs> that's so weird to say, to become a virtuous woman? Chapter, um, chapter 31 and verse 10 onwards speaks all about a virtuous woman. And so virtuous means morally good, Acting in conformity to the moral law and practicing moral duties. So that's what virtuous means. It means to be in line with the law and it means to be right with, with what God wants. Okay, And so this is a virtuous woman. And so we're going to look at a few characteristics of this virtuous woman. And the first one is her desire is the well-being of her husband. Her desire is the well-being of her husband. Look at verse 12, chapter 31. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Look at verse 23. It says, Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Okay, And so her desire is the well-being of her husband. That is is one of the first things that a woman can do in in helping her husband. The second thing is she's diligent. It means she's hard-working. Verse 13 says, she seeketh wool and flax, and worketh willingly with her hands. Verse 16 says, She considereth a field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. Look at verse 24. She maketh fine linen, and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. She's diligent. She's, she's hardworking. She's, she's, she's not lazy. This is a way in which is a great help a husband is to know that your wife is doing something. Not because you are telling her to do something but this is, this is what a virtuous woman does. She has a desire to add value to the home. The third thing is she's unselfish and caring. Look at verse 20. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. is unselfish and caring. The fourth thing she meets the family's needs verse twenty one says she is not afraid of the snow of the of her household, for all her house are clothed with scarlet look at verse twenty seven she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness once again she's not idle, but she is she meets the needs of her family she's there to make sure that everyone is Warmly dressed, they have food. And I mean, when I think back of my mom, it is obviously that's one of the main things I am so thankful for. Is she'd always care for your well-being, and that is one aspect of a virtuous woman. Um, and that is a major help to a husband. That husband doesn't have that additional care, right? Um, fifth point: she speaks the truth in love. Look at verse twenty-six. It says she openeth her mouth with wisdom. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. So when she speaks, she speaks wisely and she does so kindly. And I think that's, to me personally, is one of the most beautiful aspects of a woman who can speak the truth in love in this way. And then the sixth point, she is worthy of her reward. Verse 28 says, Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. In verse 31 it says, Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. So we see clearly how there are quite a few things. And, you know, the, a lot of the, the modern feminist movement speaks how women are oppressed under men. And you know, it has been wrong. There have been things like that. But if you read this, women have such a wonderful um, role and liberty to, to fulfill. And so I think God has in no way oppressed women and he has given them a beautiful role to fulfill. And this is one of the ways in which you can, by, or one of the ways in which you can find that fulfillment is by being your husband's enabler. Now, men... Consider this type of woman. Wouldn't this make it easier for you to love, provide, cherish cherish a woman like this? Don't you want your children to grow up in this environment? A woman who desires the well-being of her husband. She's diligent. She's unselfish. She's caring. She meets her family's needs. Speaks the truth in love. Don't you want your children to have those characteristics as they grow up? Don't you want them to be saturated in that environment? So, it would be a lot easier for you to love a woman like this. Okay? And woman, wouldn't it be a lot easier to submit and love a man like that, who is sacrificial, who, is, who cares about you deeply, who nourishes you, who sanctifies you. But it all starts with the proper foundation. Because if there's no foundation, that house is not going to remain standing. And that's what we see with divorce. If there's no structure, there's nothing to make a home of. Okay, And so each one of these aspects need to form together, to form this, this, this beautiful picture of the home that God has created for children to grow up in. And so if each, um, each person decides to take on the responsibility that they are given by God as a husband to love in such a way and as a woman to love in such a way and to live in such a way, if if both people are doing that, it makes it a lot easier for those two to, to be in harmony if both are following their individual responsibilities as God gave them. And so I hope that in through all of this, this mind that... I think flows throughout of this and the husband and the wife everywhere is that mind of Christ, that humble mind of Christ. And um, I think everyone, every Christian should take that on and should have the mind of Christ, that humbleness and that servant-hearted attitude. Um, and I think l- so many lives and so many um, people's um, children's upbringing will be a lot better. Right. You can please close your eyes as we we close today now I hope that today serves as a reminder that our first and primary ministry starts at home if we are to see a change in society or even just lives in our families it has to start at home perhaps it's time for you to check your foundation Is there any need for some attention to your foundation? If you're unmarried, you have the opportunity to build the right foundation from the start. Do you have the correct ingredients? Salvation, sanctification, and service. And find someone who will help you to build correctly your four Ps, the preparation, prayer, pursuit, and purity. But husbands, I want to remind you of this quote. The most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. Love her sacrificially. Love her sanctifyingly. And love her nourishingly. Wives, I remind you of this quote. I'd rather be viewed as weak to the world because I am submissive to my husband than be weak in the Lord because we submit to the views of the world forsake the opinions of the world and be a God-fearing virtuous woman and then I I want to read to you a song we sang before the service today a Christian home it says oh give us homes built firm upon the Savior where Christ is head and counselor and guide where every child is taught his love and favor and gives his heart to Christ the crucified. How sweet to know that though his footsteps waver, his faithful Lord is walking by his side. Oh, give us homes with godly fathers, mothers, who always place their hope and trust in him, whose tender patience, turmoil never bothers, whose calm and courage trouble cannot dim. A home where each finds joy in serving others and love still shines though days be dark and grim. Father, thank you so much for this day. What a privilege to know that your word has so much wisdom and so much practical guidance for us, Lord. Thank you that we have it as a, as a guide in our lives, Lord, and I ask that you would please be with everyone here, married or unmarried, husband or wife. Lord, give, us, give us the wisdom we need, give us the, the guidance we need to be able to be the husband or wife we need to be. Help us to prepare ourselves for that, that future joy of marriage, and may it be a joy, Lord, because we do it the way you created it. Help us to, to bring up children that love you and that fear you and um, that get saved, Lord, at an early age. And, Lord, we know that it's, it's only possible if we do it the way you've called us to do and help us to be faithful in that. Thank you so much for, for not leaving us blind on this matter, but giving us so much instruction. Help us to put away whatever fleshly thing pops up in us to oppose it. Help us be aware of it in our daily lives that that we would love this way as Christ loved us. Thank you so much, Father, for all you do for us. I ask that you please dismiss us with your blessing and bring us back safely tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen.